stand and listen for these words of life from 1 Peter. This morning, chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of life. Do you know the name Ben Loring? Ben Loring. I did not know the name until one of you gave me an article that he had written for the Tulsa World. He's recently written, back in March, this article. He's now a state representative representing the area up around Miami, Oklahoma, where he lives. He was formerly the district attorney in that area. So being the district attorney, he was a part of prosecuting criminals, people who had committed serious crimes and typically worked to get the longest possible sentence for them. He was diligent and effective at his job. One such case, he was working with a criminal who was 17 years old. She was female. She had an older boyfriend, an adult, who had invited her into this crime where they robbed this elderly couple, but then they also ended up killing them. They were apprehended and brought to trial. Mr. Loring argued for the prosecution that she should be sent to prison on a sentence of life without parole. He won the case. She was sent to prison. That was some 30 years ago, and she is still in prison today. But he was writing just a few weeks ago because he's rethinking what that was all about. I want you to hear a few of the sentences he wrote. He says, Since then, we have learned much more of the science of brain development and the proven ways in which children are different from adults. Their brains are not fully developed yet and don't process risk and consequences the same way adult brains do. In fact, the U.S. Supreme Court cited this science when it ruled that extreme punishments for children, particularly the use of life without parole sentences, amounts to cruel and unusual punishment under the United States Constitution. Over the intervening years, Mr. Loring has visited the prison where this young woman was sent, and he comments that she has shown extraordinary growth and rehabilitation. He writes this, I realized in seeking such an extreme sentence for her, I had denied her the opportunity to prove she could grow, change, 
rehabilitate and show she was worthy of a second chance. I was wrong about her. And as I read that, I thought, what an extraordinary example of humility. Not only to come to the conclusion that he had made a mistake, that he was wrong in this matter, but then to admit it, but even more than admitting it, putting it in print, telling everyone that he has made a mistake and he wishes that it were now different. First Peter, First Peter counsels the early Christians and us to humble ourselves. He says Christians should humble themselves. It's an approach to life and faith, not perhaps displayed so much in our society these days. And yet, it's biblical wisdom that it's a great approach to faith. In our own United Methodist Book of Discipline, it talks about this very approach to faith and humility. It reminds us of John Wesley's time-tested approach to faith when talking about theology. He says in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And then our book of discipline says the spirit of charity takes into consideration the limits of human understanding. To be ignorant of many things and to be mistaken in some, John Wesley observed, is the necessary condition of humanity. That is, we're all wrong in some things. We're all wrong at some points in our life. We just don't know which times and which opinions and which things. And so the Bible and our United Methodist tradition counsel us to approach faith and life with humility. Later in the same sermon, Wesley recommends humility again when he says, every wise person, therefore, will allow others the same liberty of thinking that they desire. Or in another place, Wesley says it, I think, even more simply, he says, as to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. We approach faith with humility. We humble ourselves. The Bible tells us that's the appropriate path to follow as a person of faith. First Peter says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. But it's just the first of four actions that he suggests we take. Number two is to cast all your anxiety on God because God cares for us. God cares for us. For you what good news it's one of the bedrock beliefs of christian faith is that we have a god who has created us but not left us to our own devices but loves us and cares for us and is present with us throughout our lives if you were here in january you might remember the first sermon series of the year talked about our core values and we affirmed in our very first core value that everyone is a beloved child of god God cares about each and every one of us. And it's important that we hang on to that as Christians. The third action 
is that we should keep alert, First Peter says, because evil is lurking around. It's closely tied to the fourth action, which is to resist evil. When talking about these two, the author uses a vivid metaphor here. In verse 8, he says, like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. This is a pretty good list, I would say, to you graduating seniors to take with you, to be humble, to keep alert, to resist evil, to cast your anxieties upon God, because there are bad forces in the world. There are evil people in the world, and it's important that we carry our faith with us and let it guide us. One of the biblical commentaries I read this week said, now in this particular passage, in this particular time this passage was written, the adversary or the devil that this author is talking about probably is not a spiritual entity, rather it's probably the Roman authorities, for this is a time of persecution, and the Romans were the ones prowling around looking for Christians to arrest and persecute. But whichever way you read that part, there is good news here for all of us. Whether you are 18 or about to be 18 and graduating from high school with excitement and energy and zeal, or if you're 81 and only have memories of what it was like to have that kind of energy, there's good news here in this passage for all of us. For this lesson proclaims that God will take five actions on our behalf. It asks us to do four things, and then the author follows up with these five things that he says God will do for us. It's in verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you those are promises from the scripture those are to be good news to our ears that god is with us that god is working for good on our behalf that god will call restore support strengthen and establish you i've been watching victor hugo's lay miserables on pbs i don't know if you've seen that They've been running this new adaptation of that classic novel on Sunday evenings. It talks about this man's life over a course of many years, over decades of his life. But as I was reading the passage this week, I thought, you know what? That novel kind of follows these five things that 1 Peter is talking about. If you're not familiar with the story, the lead character, the main character is a guy named Jean Valjean. When we first meet him, he's in prison. It's a brutal place to live. We find out he's stolen a loaf of bread to try to stave off hunger. And for that act, he's been put in prison. He tries to escape. He's caught. He's back in prison. He ends up spending 19 years of his life in this brutal environment, as you might imagine. By the time he gets out, he is pretty bitter. He's pretty angry at life. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. He is traveling from town to town, trying to find work, trying to figure out what he might do with the rest of his life. When one night in a small village, he comes upon a bishop of the church who takes him into his home. The bishop treats him well, gives him a meal, and gives him a place to sleep. But during the night, 
Jean Valjean's worst instincts overcome him. He begins to focus on the worth of the silver the bishop had with which they had eaten that dinner. And he decides the best thing to do is steal the silver. He gets up in the middle of the night, he collects all the silver, puts it in a bag, and heads out of town. But before he gets out of the city, the local authorities detain him. They bring him back to the bishop's house. They say, here's the man, here are the goods, he's robbed you. And the bishop, in an extraordinary act of grace and generosity, says, oh no. I gave that to him. As a matter of fact, oh, he forgot the silver candlesticks on the mantle. Here, take those two. Says to the police, no crime has been committed here. And the police leave. And then the bishop tells Jean Valjean that he has been claimed by God. And he should go live a life worthy of that claim. He leaves the bishop's house trying to figure out what to do. He steals again, and then somehow the grace of God gets a hold of his heart, and he starts out on a different path. He starts a business. He does really well. He becomes a prominent businessman in his community, so well-respected and liked that they elevate him to the role of mayor of their small village. He's begun to live into this new identity of being a child of God. I do not think it's too strong to say that he was called of God. After God calls you, 1 Peter says, God will restore you. But unfortunately, Jean Valjean makes some more mistakes, makes some other errors in judgment, and finds himself on the run again, this time with a young orphan girl. He is trying to escape from the police. He has nowhere to go. He sees a convent, a cloistered area where nuns live, and he barges in and begs them to protect him. They are not sure what to do, but then they decide that they will keep him and the young girl And they begin to take care of them. First Peter says, Then God will support and strengthen you. We could take a minute, think about our own lives. I'm inviting you to think about your own life journey and where God maybe has been working in your life. I think we've all had those experiences where Things began to not go the way that we had imagined them. Where tragedy has come, where we've lost a loved one or lost a relationship or lost a job or lost an ability or capability. We've gotten to that place where we're kind of at the end of our rope, not sure to do, finding ourselves no longer to envision a positive future. The tragedy and the loss sometimes becomes the predominant thing in our lives and overwhelms us. And then, just about the time we think perhaps we cannot go on, we think of a scripture or someone writes us a card and says an encouraging word. Or maybe we hear a song on the radio or think of a tune and it inspires us and we think, oh, I can go on. I can at least take one more step. 
Or sometimes it happens that a friend calls us or comes by and offers us a hug or a word of encouragement, and it's just enough to buoy our spirits where we think, I can take another step into the future. I am not alone. I can vividly remember a time like this in my life. My wife had just had our first child, Grace. Everything was great. She was beautiful. We were excited. And then a few hours later, Mary began to have trouble speaking. We discovered she was having a stroke. It went on through the night. So by the morning, her ability to use the right side of her body had been diminished. She could not speak. It was a frantic time. I was praying furiously. There came a moment early in the morning where finally all the doctors and nurses had gone and she was asleep and I was praying that somehow God could fix this fragile situation in which we found ourselves where I didn't know if she was going to get better or if it was only going to get worse. And Right about that time, there was a knock at the door and I had called some family members to tell them about this terrible turn of events and this was the first family member who made it to the hospital and I just fell into his arms and began to weep and all the tears I'd been holding back began to run down my face because I knew he cared and he was there and it made all the difference he didn't have to say anything he was willing to listen to what had happened And help me be able to take the next step. Even though we didn't know any more information from the doctors or medical science. I had been buoyed. I'd been lifted up by his mere presence. His willingness to come and stand with me. Finally, by the end of Les Mis... Jean Valjean recognizes that he has moved from a man full of hate to become a man full of love. And in the final chapter, after he's been separated from this young girl he has raised as his own, who's now a young woman, but she's fallen in love and gone off with this man to marry, they come back and they reunite in the final scene of the book. And Jean Valjean begins to speak of redemption and things like forgiveness. He tells them he's leaving them his whole estate, plus he's set aside an amount he wants them to give to the poor. He is right on the verge of death. And he says this, So I am going away, my children. Love one another dearly always nothing else in the world really matters but that to love one another indeed by the end of the story he is an established man of god i thought to myself victor hugo could have used these words from first peter as his outline for his classic novel hear them again And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.